Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. <clears throat> Instead of approaching the Bible with our predisposed ideas or things that we have been taught, we want to actually approach the Bible and look at what it says so we can know exactly what we want to believe. Now, our first question comes from one that was asked at the very end of our last Q&A, and that is about the fear of the Lord. Why should we be afraid of God? And uh, I want to take some time to look at a few passages that's going to help us with that. The first thing for us to remember is that a phrase that contains a word is not the same as the word. In other words, we know that we have not been given a spirit of fear. So some people will find a contradiction here. Um, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind, right? This is what the Bible says. And so people say, then why should I fear God if I haven't been given the spirit of fear? And people will say, well, I don't fear God. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's my Savior. Why would I fear him? The fear of the Lord is a phrase that means to be in awe of, to give due respect to. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It doesn't mean that I'm going to tremble at the thought of being in front of God. It means I'm going to be in awe. When I stand in front of the Lord, when I find myself actually in front of him, I will be in awe of him. Now let's look at a few passages that tell us what the fear of the Lord is like. If I can get it to work here, come back to it, see what happens. Well, I thought we were going to look at There it is. All right, hands off. Okay, so first of all, Isaiah 40, um, 110 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And here we see that concept of fear not that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. God's on our side, so don't be afraid. However, Psalms 110.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praises endure forever. And here we see the idea of awe, the idea that God is in the position of God, and I should give him his proper due. Um, when I was much younger, my father-in-law was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines. And I took him over to Davis Mothin Air Force Base to do a little bit of business. And um, we started by pulling into the front gate. And then he showed them his, I think it was his veterans card, but he shows them this card that has lieutenant colonel on it. Immediately, the guy at the gate went from kind of just being, you know, friendly to, sir, yes, sir, you can, you know, he turns into the, you know, sir, yes, sir guy. And this happens throughout the whole time we're visiting there. As soon as people learn that he is a lieutenant colonel, they snap to. And it's not his person, but it's the rank that he holds. Can you imagine how people act around a four-star general? Well, God is much higher than a four-star general, and he deserves that respect and that awe. And if you were to, in front of a judge, you're standing in front of a judge in a courtroom, and you're giving him respect because he's a judge, and he has judgment over your life, and then you start talking poorly to him and he holds you in contempt and throws you in jail. You should have had some fear of the judge when you went in. Not that the judge would be unfair or unworthy, 
but the way we interact with them. And we need to have a, some fear of the Lord in the way we interact. Now, Matthew 28, 10 says, and do not fear those who kill the body and but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who destroys both the body and the, or the soul and the body in hell. And here Jesus is talking about being afraid to not respond to the graciousness of God. Don't fear the person who can kill the body, but both the soul and the body. Think of your eternity, not just here and now. That's a different kind of the fear of the Lord that we really ought to have. Now, Ecclesiastes says the end of the uh, the end of a matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The, at the end of everything, fear God and keep His word, keep His commandments. That's the end of it all. <clears throat> what a great statement about how we're supposed to live. Now I have one more. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, and one may turn away from the snares of death. That one may turn away from the snares of death. Let me read it again. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. So again, the fear of the Lord is that God is in charge. God's the one who's handling things. I have to stand in front of him. It doesn't mean that I'm going to tremble with great fear when I see him. But what it does mean, and, and maybe I will, maybe I will tremble with great fear because I'm going to see him as he is. And um, it's interesting, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, woe am I, for I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He reflected on who he was and what he was going through because he had seen God. Now we take it, he saw a facsimile of God, like Isaiah that saw a man-like person on the throne <clears throat> that had all kinds of glory that was attached to it. And um, uh, John saw in the book of Revelation chapter four, one who sat on the throne was like Sardis and Jasper and an emerald rainbow that was around the throne. So they just, they're described in this way. No one can see God and live. So maybe like Mercy Me song, I can only imagine, maybe we will fall down in front of him in fear and trembling when we get to see him in all of his glory. I think because of who God is, the angels are amazed that we would ever be so nonchalant. And when we come to him, that we get filled with the Holy Spirit and they, we get to worship and praise his name. What absolutely wonderful things. So I hope that helps you with what it means, the fear of the Lord, and that there's no contradiction between when it says uh, to be afraid of him who kill the body and the soul and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's no contradiction there. Uh, they're just making different statements and both of them are true. In general, we should have more fear of God. I hope that's helpful. And if that doesn't answer the question completely or you've got another angle on it, uh, I will um, entertain follow-ups on that to see if uh, we can get some clarity uh, from the scriptures. All right, so we have a question from Andre. Andre's first, like he often is. Andre says, um, let's see, hypo, uh, hypothetically, you are Apostle Robert. Okay, that's a, that's a long stretch, but okay. Hypothetically, you're Apostle Robert, the suspected author of Hebrews. What additional name would you add to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Wow, well, okay, what a, what a good question. I, of course, would not want to add to the Word of God, right, beyond anything that's been given. And this is a hard question, Andre, for a pastor to answer because we really have a heart not to go beyond the Word of God. We don't want to put inferences on the passage to make it say something it doesn't say. We don't want to answer questions that 
The Bible doesn't answer. The Bible says secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. But if I were to look at the Old Testament and wanted to put someone who's not in the Hall of Fame, in the Hall of Fame, if I were the author, um, gosh, I love the story of Asa when he's younger. But well, Samson is in the Hall of Fame. So maybe Asa, who when he became king, had a huge army from Ethiopia attack him and he called out on God and God answered him because he called out on him. Now, later in life, when he's attacked by another army, when he's learned to be king, he hires a mercenary army. And God comes to him and says, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro on the face of the whole earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are loyal. I'd often heard that to show himself strong to whose hearts are sinless, but whose hearts are loyal. Because Asa had been loyal when he was young, but was not loyal when he was old. And God's searching for those who are loyal. So perhaps I would put the young Asa in that. By faith, Asa defeated an army larger than his own army by putting his trust and calling on the name of the Lord. That's one that I would add. All right. So, of course, I'm not adding to the word of God. I'm just saying I really like that account. It has spoken to me over the years that the Lord's looking for those who are loyal. Are you loyal? When, when you have trouble, when you have difficulty, are you rolling up your sleeves or you're hiring someone else? Or are you calling out upon God for God to meet your needs? Are you loyal to him? What a great study King Asa is. And thank you, Andre, for that question. I really do appreciate that. Now, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, you're here. It's good to have you here. Uh, if you have a question, then you can write the word question or a question mark in front of your question and then write out your question, add any Bible references that you have and um, reread it a couple of times before you submit it to make sure that it makes sense. All right. And um, we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands says, why is the Bible silent on how the world reacts to the rapture? Some say it's because too much chaos is going on to notice. I don't agree, <clears throat> since there is a gap between the rapture and the tribulation period. All right, so um, fact check these hands. First of all, I'm going to say that I'm not sure that there's a gap. I don't know where that would be. And, and if you have some insight into a passage that would reveal that there is a gap between the rapture and the tribulation period starting, um, then please show that. We do know the tribulation period starts with a peace treaty that's signed, that's Daniel chapter 25, but the rapture of the church could happen simultaneously to that happening. And remember, this is also a resurrection. So the larger event is the resurrection of the saints, of all those who are in Christ, which doesn't necessarily just mean Christians. I go back and forth as to whether or not this portion of the resurrection, because the first resurrection is broken up between Jesus, those before the tribulation and those after the tribulation. And I go back and forth on whether I think that there's Old Testament saints in the first um, resurrection, that if you have a resurrection and it happens any time in history, what are you gonna do with those who are alive? And that's why I say to everyone that you do believe in a rapture. People even say, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. You believe in the rapture because when you have the resurrection, what are you going to do with the people who are alive? The people who are alive will be taken. So we, um, it says, uh, we will by no means um, precede those who have fallen asleep, meaning die. But the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be brought up into the presence of God. Um, I think, 
I think there's going to be a lot of chaos. In Matthew 24, it says, when you see all of these things happening, know that the time is near. It's that that the parable of the fig tree. Um, I think it's not just talking about Israel, I think it's talking about all the nations. And it's talking, it's talking about what we would call the convergence of all of the things. There's pestilence, there's earthquakes, there's famines, the sea is raging, there's wars, there's all of this chaos that's happening. When you see all these things happen, know that the end is near. We're going to have wars and rumors of wars. We're going to have earthquakes. We're going to see that the, the sea is going to rage. These, thing, these things don't mean the end, but it's when all of them happen at the same time that the Bible says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. So I do think there will be chaos. Um, I also think that they're going to talk about aliens, that they came and took Christians. And I think there's going to be a lot of new age talk about aliens as well. You know, the new age <clears throat> is going to say that we Christians who are were, were the biggest hold up on the earth, evolution has brought us to the point of us being removed, or maybe aliens are helping the earth by removing all of the Christians out of the way so the earth can move forward. I think there's going to be a lot of things going on like that. Um, but again, fact check these hands, this is one of those areas where the Bible is silent about. We don't get the reaction. What we do get is the conqueror that comes forward in the beginning of the tribulation period. And uh, that's in chapter six. And um, we'll be going over that here in a couple of weeks. We'll be looking at chapter six. Thank you, fact check these hands. I appreciate that. Um, and like I said, if you find, um, if there is a gap between um, the rapture and the tribulation, you got a passage for that. I'd love to look at it just because, you know, again, I wanna be correct on what we're doing. All right, on what we're talking about. And I don't think there is. So we just don't know. So Jari says, and, and by the way, let me just close this down and, and speak to that for a moment. Um, and since we don't know, maybe it is better not to put a time on it. Since we don't know, maybe it's better not to go, this is the very beginning of the tribulation period, because we don't know. We begin to, again, infer things on scripture, which is problematic, a gap or instantly, instead of saying, we just don't know when it's gonna start. But certainly it will be in the end at the end that it will take place. Um, an interesting thought is that perhaps the rapture of the church happens right after the tribulation period starts. Uh, if that's the case, well, the falling away has to happen first, which could be the apostasy and the son of man and the, and the um, antichrist has to be revealed. And so that's how you would know you're in tribulation period, but he tells them they're not that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. But anyway, um, best not to infer on scripture, right? Always. So we have a question from Jari. And Jari says, um, question, the more someone prays and fasts, will they get answers to their prayers quicker and reveal its nations, as nations faster? If there, is there a deeper level we can go with God or is salvation enough? Thanks. Uh, good question, Jari. I, I really like this. Um, so I think I've shared with you before that I was born again in a Methodist church and the Lord led me out of there. I needed to grow and mature and that wasn't gonna happen in the Methodist church. I, did, I got saved there, but God led me out. I found myself, first of all, in a hyper charismatic church. Then I found myself in an assembly of God and I, I landed there for uh, a couple of years, uh, maybe maybe a little more than that, maybe you know maybe three years or so in the Assembly of God Church, and we certainly had that sense that we wanted everything that God wanted for us. I've shared before. I was a front row guy. 
So I'm a teenager. I want to know as much of the Bible as I can. I got my Bible out. I got my notes out. Um, and during worship, I got my eyes shut. I'm lifting my hands. And if I feel the slightest bit dizzy, I'm thinking, is that you? Is that you, God? Because I'm really wanting to experience God. And I love that about Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches. I love that they have that sense of anticipation and expectation that God could move, say something to them, move in their midst at any moment. I'd, I'd love for our church to have more of that anticipation and expectation. Now, the searching for more power. We have a song that we sing, more power, more love, more of you in our lives. Paul said that I might know you in the, in the, um, in the fellowship of your resurrection and the likeness of your power. How, what does that verse say? So Paul talked about the resurrection and being in the likeness of the resurrection and of the power. Um, we often want the power, but we don't want, you know, the suffering. The, in the likeness of your suffering and the power of your resurrection, ah, it'll come to me. That verse will come to me. Um, so I think we can get too power centered. And I think that that happened in the Pentecostal churches where we were taught that if we could, if we could go without sin for a length of time, then we would be more powerful in the spiritual realm and the enemy would have to listen to us more and we would be better able to heal people we laid hands on and prayed for them. As I got older and searched the scriptures, I couldn't find anything that said that. The closest you have is when Jesus comes off of the mountain of transfiguration and comes to his disciples who are trying to cast a demon out of a boy. The father says he often throws himself into the fire and water trying to kill him. And Jesus commands the demon and it leaves. Later, the disciples say, what, uh, what's going on? Why couldn't we cast a demon out? And Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Now, your, your version may say prayer and fasting. But look up the footnotes on fasting, and that is one of the significant variants that you find in Scripture. There are thousands of variants in the manuscripts of the Bible. We have 5,000 Greek manuscripts, and there are th hundreds of thousands of variants in it. But the vast majority of 99% of it, if not higher than 99, are variants that don't change the meaning of the text at all. Their spelling errors, their punctuation errors, uh, they are a different word being used or a different order that the words are in, something that doesn't change it at all. These are non-meaningful variants. Bart Ehrman is a New Testament scholar and he's a non-Christian, admits that the vast majority of these are non-meaningful variants. But there are a handful of meaningful variants. And whenever you find them, you'll find that there's a footnote in the Bible that the oldest or the best manuscripts do not contain this. And there's usually a bracket around it. It doesn't mean it wasn't said. It means it wasn't in the original manuscripts. And we should consider that because we have the fact that we can compare scripture to scripture, the fact that we have textual criticism, which not only happens, by the way, in the Bible, it actually happens in every old, old manuscript there is, doesn't matter what it is, Homer, um, any of the, um, say, um, ancient historian, historians like Tatticus or Philo or Josephus, we take the manuscripts and there's a science called textual criticism and they're able to compare them and they get very close to what the original is. And the Bible has more manuscripts than any other ancient book. 
the, the textual evidence is stronger than any other ancient book. And we can have great confidence that what we have in front of us is very strong. But when we have a, a variant that is meaningful with what a textual critic would call a meaning, meaningful variant, that means that the text, it could change the meaning of the text. And fasting is a meaningful variant. It's on the best in the oldest manuscripts. But prayer, <clears throat> this kind comes out by prayer only. Let's just say that's that's what it says. This kind of comes out by prayer only. Well, this means that yes, prayer is part of the battle against the demonic forces and that you need to be praying. And But but that's nothing new. We know that from all the scripture, the, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We are to ask and seek and pray and, and we're to pray until we get an answer. And so Jesus taught, gave us parables about perseverance, um, not, to, not to give up in prayer, but to keep seeking God in prayer. So that's nothing new. Uh, as far as gaining spiritual power, being on another level, having fire shoot from your fingertips or lightning shoot from your fingertips because you have the power of God in you, the way that I was taught it in the in the Pentecostal church that I attended, um, after we got married, well, right before we got married, we attended that wild charismatic church again. Then we went to Chillwood Park Foursquare Church, which is another Pentecostal church. I have a lot of years in a Pentecostal church and Calvary Chapel is a charismatic church with a seatbelt. And a lot of times because of the strange things that happen in, the, in Pentecostal churches, now they're talking about soul ties and breaking soul ties and having it, it's like a del new deliverance thing, breaking soul ties. Because of those unbiblical things that happen, we kind of distance ourselves from others who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are today, that they are to be operated today, but they are to be in order. We, we believe the same thing that Foursquare Pentecostals, um, Assembly of God Pentecostals, Charismatics believe about the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. Uh, we just disconnect ourselves from some of the deliverance things, the, yeah, just some of the weirdness. And so when we could talk about what some of those weird things are, the charismatics are doing if you have questions about it. Um, and it, it really is unfortunate because it takes the focus away from God. Here's, here's where you can be. Jari, you can either be right with God. That is right now you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Forgive me. I don't want to sin. Help me where I'm weak. I, I know I'm weak. I know I've, I've got a sin nature and Lord, I'm sorry that I've done it. And that sin nature doesn't mean that you don't have control over temptation every time you're tempted. That's why when you sin, you confess it because you have, you made a decision to do it. The fact that we have a sin nature just means that we are prone to it. We're prone to sin and people prone sin differently. But the Bible says we all have this in common. If you are right with God, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous being right with God, then I don't think there's any stronger place to be. You have God answering prayers, God choosing to gift people with certain gifts, like the gift of faith, which would allow greater things to happen. But that's a gift. It's not anything you earn. You can't go out there and earn that, the gift of faith. It's a gift. So, um, Praying and fasting, what I, I think praying and fasting is mourning. And so when I'm hit with something that really strikes me, and I, I, and I, I like I, I remember 
when I first learned the extent of taking a baby's life in the womb. I was so moved by it, literally mourned over it. They were, they were taking the lives of unborn babies and they were doing it nonchalantly as birth control. This is when I was still a teenager. And I, I tell you, I've shared before that I spoke for Right to Life when I was 18 years old on their speakers board, went into schools and debated um, Planned Parenthood. I was so struck with it that I fasted. Today, sometimes there are things that hit me that people are doing that are so strong. And when that happens, that's when I fast and pray. Also, if I'm grieving over a situation with someone who I love and they're involved in something they shouldn't be involved in, then I fast and I pray and I seek God. And I'm not trying to tap into more power, but I'm really trying to be fervent with my prayers and take that time to set aside the intake of food, to be able to seek God for, for whatever it is that I'm praying for, okay? So is there a deeper level? I, the, the, to me, there's a more of a connection to, I've seen, this is my own experience, anecdotal evidence. I've seen an arrogance connected to that. Well, I've gotten to that deeper level. Well, I've learned to walk with God in such a way that I'm in that deeper level. And the, the biggest problem man has is pride. And it's what surfaces over and over again. So God would rather us stay humble. And we look back at the early church fathers and we saw that they were more prone to say they were nothing than to say they were something. They were more prone to say, I don't deserve anything God's done than to say, I've somehow figured out how to do these things and deserve what's been done. And I think we should emulate, emulate the early church fathers. Instead of just saying, we're, we're available to you, Lord. We want to do the work you called us to do. We want to be faithful to the talents that we've been given. We want to be good stewards of the gifts and the, the finances that you've given us. Uh, but Lord, we realize the fact that you've chosen us is unbelievable. And it's amazing that you have chosen us. So I would rather not think of a deeper level a whole nother level. I would rather think, not think of a whole nother level. I would rather think in the terms of, I want to be used by God. I want to be right with him because when I am right with him, then God uses me and God uses me by his grace and mercy, not because in any way, shape or form, I, I want to be used by him. Now I realize that there's a lot of this teachings within Pentecostal churches and it strikes a chord. You just got to be careful that it doesn't strike a chord that leads to pride. And I talked about how I miss the sense of anticipation and expectation in the Pentecostal churches, but I've also seen a lot of spiritual pride, people speaking things that shouldn't have been said, people being um, uh, presumptuous with the word of God. God told me to tell you and they're being presumptuous. I've seen that a lot too, and that's a danger that really should be avoided. All right, so let's see. See, this is a follow-up. I'm not sure what it's a follow-up to, John. Let me look. Follow-up. If we stand before God and think we heard from God outside the scriptures, how will God judge us at the judgment seat if we go beyond what is written? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure what the follow-up question is to, but uh, the Bible says if it's sin for you to do it, if you think it's sin to do it, then it's sin. So if your conscience strikes you that you are to do something, then don't do it. Even if the Bible doesn't say not to do it, if you think it's sin, then, and you do it, then you're sinning. So yeah, you want to live your convictions. 
Live your convictions and leave other people alone. That's the idea. Live your convictions, leave other people alone. Sooner or later, God will reveal it to you if you are not um, in a place where things are right between you and God. Um, if, um, if you know, you're, you think something is sin, for you, the, the, then don't do it. All right? So I hope that that um, answers that question. Uh, we have a question from Maria from Facebook. I don't see many Facebooks. I see another one up there. Tyler on Facebook, good to see you. Um, Maria says, question, I just came by to, um, I assume that's back, to our Lord on New Year's Day. I couldn't be happier. Um, boy, me, um, me as well. So glad that you have now chosen, Maria, to be a follower of Christ, to be one of his disciples. And just as the disciples had to learn and walk with Jesus in order to grow and mature, you're gonna need to learn and grow and mature and walk with Christ. Uh, when you when you become a Christian, it is not the end of a journey. It is the beginning of a journey. You are now just beginning to learn what it means to truly walk with him. Uh, God bless you. I'm excited for you. May the Lord establish you deeply in him. May you find a place for strong discipleship uh, that you can grow in Christ, a good place where the word of God can be taught and get inside of you and work within you. Uh, because it really is powerful. But welcome back. Uh, really, really good to have you. I'm back with the Lord. And um, as one of the brothers and sisters in Christ that are following him, like the disciples did, that's what we do. We follow him. All right, we have a question from John. It looks like we're getting some stuff from Facebook now. Maybe Tyler and Keith worked it out. John says, question, when we pass away, do we go straight to heaven? That's a straightforward question. I'm gonna give you a straightforward answer, yes. Uh, Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So we are in his presence. Paul told them, I'm in a dilemma. Uh, this is, um, I think it's the Philippians. I'm in a dilemma. I don't know whether to go or stay. If I go, meaning die, I'll be with the Lord. But if I stay, I'll be more helpful to you. And he kind of makes a decision to stay. He would have never have been in that dilemma about whether or not just giving up and dying had he not been going in the presence of the Lord. Had he just been going to sleep, it wouldn't matter. Or had he been in some place called purgatory, it wouldn't have mattered. He would have wanted to stay alive as long as he could. But to be absent from this body is to be present with God. Never do we find the idea of purgatory in the Bible. Uh, neither do we find the idea of soul sleep. Although I can understand why some would believe that because the Bible often says Jesus talked about Lazarus sleeping when he had actually died. But um, he's not. he was just talking about the body here, that for a Christian, the body here dies and then the but our our spirit or our soul in the presence of god and we continue to live on thank you john i appreciate uh your question and thank you for joining us from facebook uh so good to see you uh is it uh uh elias elias looks like that's what it is all right so thank you guys good to have you here look here for another question we have a question from uh, is it Danilin? Sorry if I butchered your name. Um, I know that lust is a sin, but when you're in love with your spouse and you feel lust for them, does that make it sin? All right, good question. So lust is the desire to have something to gratify yourself, just your self-personal gratification. 
and you lust someone's car, you lust for someone's car. I want that car because I want to drive it. I want to look cool in that car. You have a lust for power. I want power. I want to tell people what to do and I want them to listen to me. So you've got that lust for power. Now you bring that into a marriage and you feel a strong sexual desire for someone. That would be lust if you're saying, I'm going to get my sexual gratification out of this no matter what he or she is thinking, my husband or my wife is thinking, whatever they want. No, now you're, you're thinking of the other person. You're serving the other person. And the beautiful thing about sex as God has created it is that we are able to be satisfied ourselves and to satisfy our partner, or at least make it a pleasant experience if they're not satisfied completely. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Little ears may be listening, um, but you're still thinking of that other person. So yes, it could be lust if all it is is you being gratified and not caring. But the interesting thing is, is that God has put us in a relationship where we care for one another. And in a sexual relationship where we love one another lovingly and we find ourselves satisfied. So it's kind of a complicated answer, I understand, but I think it's true. And that is that, yeah, you don't wanna be approaching sex inside of your marriage just for your own personal gratification without thinking of the other person. You wanna think of the other person. And always, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and died for them. Die for your wives. You, you, are, you are giving up yourself to live for your wife and, and especially in the sexual union. And wives, be submissive to your husbands. But you're not being submissive beyond what you, you, um, what you feel is right and proper to do. And so the marriage bed is to be undefiled and to be something that both parties want. And sometimes there are pressures brought in that shouldn't be brought into it because we're supposed to be thinking of the other person. And we are thinking of the other person and what the other person wants. And so there's so much that's involved in it when it comes to the actual act between a husband and a wife. But yes, if someone is just self-seeking, lusting for something that they want and they don't care how they get it, you know, in a marriage even, that's wrong. But now, I'm, I don't know if you're defining lust in that way. You just may mean a strong desire. You have a strong desire for your husband, and that's great. And you'll find a way where you can love him, serve him, and be satisfied yourself and with that strong desire. God's given us a strong sexual desire, and the, the um, definition of lust would not be a strong sexual desire. It would be a you can lust for anything. Like I said, you can lust for money, you can lust for a car, you can lust for a job, you can lust for power. There's a lot of different things. That's not what lust is. Lust is when you want something for yourself and you want it, it's just a very selfish act. It's like the ultimate selfish act of pride and lust. And um, by those strict definitions, you wouldn't want that in your marriage. But a strong sexual desire, yes, you want that. You want husband and wife to be attracted to each other and to have a strong sexual desire. All right, hopefully that is, um, that answers your question. If not, you can ask a follow-up. I appreciate that. Um, we have another question from James. James is too from um, uh, Facebook. Good to see you, James. James says, why did God send an evil spirit to Saul 
in the book of Samuel. Uh, so let me get my mind around when God sent an evil spirit to him. So let me just talk this through a little bit. I'll talk, I'll talk through my memory in this one, all right? Uh, Saul starts off pretty good. He's hiding among the barrels at his coronation, seems humble, might not really be, might be a false humility. Uh, he begins to be disobedient to God. He won't kill King Agag from the Amalekites. God commanded him to wipe them all out. Um, he wants to do things his way. I, I kept the sheep to sacrifice to you. And Samuel says to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so God sends an evil spirit to torment him. And that's when David shows up and plays music and soothes him. And he tries to pin David to the wall. And David has to try to escape from him because he's trying to kill David because of jealousy. At the same time this is going on and the timeline gets a little blurred. We, we are much more concerned in the West about timelines being lined up completely. When um, in Eastern writings, they're not so concerned with timelines. They're more concerned with the things that happen and how they connect to one another. And so the timeline in Samuel to us gets a little messed up, but it never says this happened before that happened. It's just telling us things that happened when they happened. And um, so I'm going to say that this was a punishment for Saul. This was God turning Saul against himself. This was God's way of working out God's plan, his own desire by sending an evil spirit to torment him because Saul was prideful, grew in pride, was a bad choice for a king. The people wanted a king and God gave him what they were looking for, tall, good looking, kingly kind of a guy. But he wasn't the one that would end up being the one for the Messiah to come from. And that would end up being his predecessor, which would be David. Of course, David has problems too, because men weren't made to be kings. Now we are a kingdom of priests, but we are subject to our king. So um, yeah, there's a way in which we are kings, um, but we are subject to that. So hopefully that helps. James, if you have any, any follow-up on that, I'd appreciate it. We can clarify some things if you got them. Uh, so fact check these hands says follow-up. Um, many teach there is a few months to a few years between rapture and trib to have time for the formation of the 10 regions, etc. Sorry, I'm in a car, dog daycare, can't remember the verse verses. All right, thank you, uh, fact check these hands. Uh, when you get a chance, just add it in later up and as a follow-up, if you've got those verses that are there. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm aware of the different ideas of timelines between the rapture of the church, the Gog and Magog war, uh, the, 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 the rise of the 10 kings, which seems to happen underneath the Antichrist. Um, all of these things can happen very quickly. Um, as I said, when the Bible's silent, we should be silent and not try to infer things on it. That's hard to do sometimes, but it is hard to infer them. And uh, st stay off the phone while you're driving. I mean, I do the same thing. I try to talk into my phone and then go ahead and post it. But it's funny, I always think of people at home watching this, I guess you could be in the car with it on your phone while you're driving down the road, right? So um, Albert has a question. Albert joins us from YouTube and Albert says, um, part one, there are many anti-Christian messages that come from the UFO alien phenomenon, such as supposed abductions saying aliens talked, uh, talked of Christians, uh, talk of taking Christians off of the earth, okay? So let me see if I can go find part two. All right, part two, here we go. 
part two. Uh, by the way, YouTube only allows you to put so many words in. Facebook allows you to put more in. So that's why he's doing part one and part two. Part two, as well as these aliens vanishing from a person uses the name of Jesus, do you think the church at some point will have to deal with more directly with this phenomenon? Thank you, Pastor Robert. Um, yeah, thank you, Albert. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and the answer to that is, I don't know. Um, how much more evidence is going to come out about UFOs and what they are? The Bible talks about God giving them over to the lie. Many have thought that the lie was evolution and may, may well be. Uh, there still is no evidence for evolution. And I have a standing statement out there. If you have evidence for evolution, then I would like to hear it. And even if it's complicated, because sometimes people will be like, I could tell you, but it's too complicated. Can you really tell me? Or is that just an out for you? And don't tell me, you know, all giraffes had different lengths necks. And then the longer ones were able to feed off taller trees during a drought. The shorter neck giraffes died off. Voila, evolution. That's not evolution. That's adaptation. It's, it's shorter neck giraffes being disadvantaged and dying off. It doesn't change them. And so if you have any evidence for evolution, I would love to hear it. Um, but this seems to be another lie. And um, maybe they, they indeed are. I remember Chuck Missler, who went to be with the Lord quite a while ago now, at least a decade ago, maybe longer. I remember him talking about UFOs being demonic and that he believed that it was demonic manifestation. And I wonder what he would think today. Uh, he had some access to the government um, and that's what he believed. And, and, and maybe they are. Um, I think as we're living in this world, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to deal more and more with it. I would say, yeah, Albert, I, th I think we will. And I can confidently say, yes, I think we will, because it's something I think, right? So, um, thank you for your question. I really appreciate that. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, you're here for the first time, really glad you're here. I uh, hope that God has blessed you by the time we spent together. If you have a question, then write the word question before your question, write out your question, and um, then reread it, add any Bible references. Uh, we can take time uh, to look up. You're welcome, James. Um, we can take time to look up uh, if uh, you, you know, have a question. Um, yeah, so, um, all right. Uh, so we're at, we're at the end of our questions now. Uh, we have another um, 18 minutes. I'll start to wrap things up, give you a little bit of information. If another question comes in, we'll take it. If not, I'll go ahead and close out. Um, so tonight, we are in the book of Revelation. We're going to be covering all of chapter 5. We've been diving in-depth to all of the different parts, but all of chapter 5 have to do with the seven-sealed scroll. And what is that seven-sealed scroll? Some say it's the title deed to the earth. Um, this is the seven seal scroll, remember, that um, that a strong angel cries out, who is worthy to take the scroll? And no one is found in heaven, on earth, or under the earth who can take the scroll. And so John begins to weep because he realizes the heaviness of this particular point. And then uh, one of the 24 elders comes to him and says, don't, uh, don't worry, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to, to take the scroll and open it. And he looks and there's a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And the lamb takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne with the scroll. And when that happens, there's an incredible amount of worship that happened. And the 24 elders begin to talk about his redemption. 
And so we're going to see that this indeed is the title deed of the earth, but it is also a judgment scroll because it talks about judgments and it's also a redemption. God redeemed us and like Ruth married Boaz and redeemed Naomi and the land that was Naomi's now became belonged to her grandchild. And so Jesus redeemed the earth. And we're going to see a lot of these kind of things in our study tonight. Love to have you join us. Uh, this is an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. We're going to be answering questions to the best of our ability as we make our way through. I think we've already got 12 or 13 studies into chapter 5. We'll slow down as we can. I think this whole chapter you have to take together in, in one piece because we're asking the question, what is this scroll? And that's what's in, in, in the, the focus of the whole chapter so that'll be six o'clock tonight on YouTube, Facebook, um, Roku, Apple TV, and it will be will be at both campuses. Six o'clock for the E715 at the West tonight. You can look those up on CalvaryTucson.com. Uh, um, we have a follow-up here from Jari. Jari says, and human chimp DNA being similar is tied to witnesses to my uncle, and he mentioned chimp DNA and whales and dolphins beaching themselves as evidence possibly of humanoid dolphins in the future. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard things like that as well, Jari, you know, and, th and the problem with all of that is, is it's beyond, it's beyond a theory, right? It's not even a theory. It's, it's, or I should say it isn't even a theory. It's not even caught up to be you know, the place where it's a theory. When science talks about a theory, they're generally talking about something that is proven that they have some evidence for. There is no evidence for, for evolution. Show me a fossil that's got a part, uh, I don't know, cat dog, which I understand is a cartoon, but show me a, you know, halfway in between a horse and an elephant. They're all supposed to have the same basic structure. Show me something that's in between. So they came up with punctuated evolution. Years ago, this is pretty funny. Years ago, we had a debate that our church sponsored. We brought in Dr. Dana Gish to debate a professor from the U of A. None of the professors would respond. They knew that he was just tearing people up in, in debates. And so we put, took out an ad in the back of the Wildcat that said, and that's the paper for U of A, that said, we've challenged the professors here to a debate on evolution and none would accept. And one finally stepped forward and accepted. And I really appreciate it. I really do. But in the debate, he said, Dr. Gish talked about the fossil record being void of anything that it should. If it happens over thousands of years, there should be intermediate types in the fossil record. And um, then the professor got up and said, we need to just throw out the fossil record. We're not going to talk about that at all. Um, and then you start talking about some other things. And then when it became Gish's turn again, he got up and said, I know why he wants to throw out the fossil record because it has nothing in it that deals with evolution. If there is any evidence, there's all kinds of, of things that would speak against evolution. How did a woodpecker evolve when his neck has a shock in it that when the woodpecker fights and into the tree to get its food, it, it, otherwise it would kill it. So it's got something in it that can help it. There's so many things like that that fight against the idea of evolution. You never have anything. How, how did we get such complex cells? Darwin himself said 
if the cell is complex, then my theory is wrong. And the cell is more complex than he ever thought it to be. When you get into the world of cells, it is absolutely amazing. And scientists today are saying that evolution, the way we've been taught it, is not right, is, is not true. Uh, there's a book called Darwin's Black Box, which is the idea that he was came up with something that nobody really had any evidence for, and that evolution, there are honest scientists in that are evolutionists. It's not that they don't believe that evolution is true, they just don't know how it works, and evolution as we know it cannot be true. It's what Christian, who are scientists, who are Christian, have been saying all along. All right, so um, yeah, my statement stands. If um, anybody has evidence for evolution, and it's true evidence, then I want to hear it, and I'll believe it if it's true evidence. I just want to make sure it's true, because we really are on a truth quest. And I don't think that God has put things out there in the world that are going to try to trick us. I think that's someone else who tries to do those things. All right. So um, also, we have a, um, a service starting, as I said, in a little while. This next weekend, we're back in the book of Luke. We did a Christmas and a New Year's message. We're back in the book of Luke, and we're going to be talking about uh, the burial of Jesus. And there's more to it than you think. We often talk about the crucifixion, a lot about to say about the resurrection, but the burial is often neglected. But the burial is in the early creed about the gospel. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, excuse me, was buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. And so it's it's there. And so we'll be talking about that next week as we go line by line, verse by verse through the book of Luke. We have 97 studies in the book of Luke now. We'll have well over 100 um, by the time that we are done. All right. Uh, so good to see you guys. Good to have you here. Good to see that we have, um, looks like Facebook working. If you have any questions, you can write them down still and submit them before I go. Um, I won't have time to be able to get to them today. Uh, but if you do, so yeah, I'm just looking back here. Uh, looks like we did not have Facebook working for a long time. We've been talking about this. And then Maria's uh, question is the first one. And for after that, we have Facebook in here. So for a while, it seems like we've only had, my feed anyway, has only been able to see um, YouTube. So if you're on Facebook and I haven't been looking at your stuff, then you know why. You guys are welcome. I appreciate you. Um, let's see. Um, how do we explain to atheist whales beaching themselves? Uh, Jari says, uh, I don't think we have to. Whales beaching themselves doesn't mean that they are trying to evolve. In, in fact, it would be, yeah, yeah, who knows? There, there are other animals that do certain things that cause them to die. Um, it's not just whales that do it. And I don't think that we have to explain it. I think that they have to uh, explain why a whale beaching itself is connected to evolution. I think when you make a statement like that, um, then you're the one that has to give the answer to it. That's what I think. So um, Empress Kimberly says, Pastor, follow up. Um, do you think loyalty is the same as faithful and true? Um, so God is faithful and true. When we are walking in truth, we're trying to live what we know is true, although sometimes we might not know everything is true. Faithful, yeah, we're trying to be faithful to God, faithful to those around us. Um, loyalty, I would say, is different. 
I would say that if you're going to look at the dictionary definition between loyalty, faithful, and true, all three of them are going to be different. I think loyalty is when you say, I trust in God and I trust in God alone. Doesn't mean you're not going to go to doctors. It doesn't mean, but it does mean you go to him first. You ask him for help. You ask him for direction. The Bible says um, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And I think that in all of your ways, acknowledging him is uh, indeed the, um, all of your ways acknowledging him is loyalty. And God's looking for us to be loyal. And I want to be loyal because God's searching the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal. He wants to show himself strong. Jari asked a question earlier about whether there was another level in the power of God in your life. Uh, loyalty, that God can show himself strong towards those whose hearts are loyal, which would mean you'd be able to bless those around you in a greater way, not because you're more powerful, but simply because you endeavor to be loyal to God. TC1 has a question. Um, Genesis 4, 1 and 2 uh, were Cain and Abel twins. Let's see, we got just a couple of minutes here. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. And I don't think that they were. However, let's just take a look at the way it reads. Genesis 4, I think it says that she conceived again and brought forth another child. So Genesis 4, 1 and 2, right? Yep. All right. So let's, let's read this. Let me put it up on the screen for you. It says, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time a brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, the past, uh, um, it came to pass, Cain brought an offering for the fruit. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'd love to be able to take a look at this in um, in BDAG and see if there's anything. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting, oops, that's an interesting question uh, that you ask. Um, I would have said no. I thought that I said, and he knew her again, and she bore, but it just says, and she bore again. So is the construct of that in Hebrew not twins, or is there something that would make it twins? I don't know. So I'm going to have to give an I don't know to that, TC. I appreciate that question, though. Even though it was a stumper, all right. Um, all right. Let's see. I'm just going to go ahead and take a look here again. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and check out. Good to see you guys. Good to spend some time with you. Um, if you do have a question, you know, if you have a question that you want to ask, and you and and I I, I will look to choose it as one of the first questions. I go to the comment section on YouTube a lot, and you can go to any video and you can ask a question. And I'll try to either answer it there or we can add it uh, to the next time that we're together, which will be this coming up Saturday, uh, Lord willing, uh, before our weekend service, uh, we will indeed have a Q&A. All right. So God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. we got a service in about an hour. Love you. Uh, and uh, may the Lord really bless you. Maria, really excited about you committing your life to Christ again. You are now a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple follow after him and live for him, dive into the word of God, learn it, know it, more and more about it. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask here. There's no question that is too basic. Uh, we want this to be a supplement to the teachings of Calvary Tucson and for new believers who committed their lives to Christ. Thank you guys. Love you again, and we will see you later on.